0: welcome to the silver screen guide podcast where we discuss films from every genre so sit back relax and enjoy the podcast today we are discussing jurassic world the fourth installment in our jurassic park retrospective series this is your co-host corbin I'm Alwin from Chicago. This movie was a long time in the making. If you will remember, Jurassic Park 3 came out in 2001.
1: Right. And they immediately, it wasn't too long after 3, they announced that they were going to come out with a fourth. uh, And then that didn't happen
0: uh, for 10 years. Uh, Oops. Yes, this movie was released June 12th, 2015, about three years ago, and this retrospective is leading up to this movie's sequel, Jurassic World, The Fallen Kingdom. Right. This movie is directed by Colin Trevorrow, who you may know from Safety Not Guaranteed, kind of a small indie film with a budget under a million. I own it. I highly enjoy it. Definitely check it out. Yes. Handpicked by Brad Bird by the way. Oh, very nice. Brad Bird had a role in this movie? Well, he, I think at
1: one point he was going to direct, and he couldn't because he was working on Tomorrowland, and he said, hey, I know this guy because of his his film, uh, Safety Not Guaranteed, and that's how he got the director's role, was by Brad Bird. Ah,
0: that makes sense. It's interesting that Colin Trevorrow is not coming back to direct Fallen Kingdom.
1: Right that seems to be a common thing though with the jurassic park series is that i mean it's with the first two it was with uh spielberg. spielberg and then he was like i got things to do and so he handed three off to somebody else which went through a couple of different directors before it settled on johnston and mm-hmm. then johnston was going to come back for this one but then he said he wouldn't and then he said he might yeah. and then he didn't <laughs> so
0: <laughs> it, the production of this movie is insane Yes, we will get into the production in just a little bit because it'll take a little time to go through how this movie came to be after 14 years of being in some weird production limbo. (laughs) Anyways, I should note that Colin Trevorrow is uh, just announced to be directing Jurassic World 3, though. Hmm,
1: that's interesting.
0: He is he did write Jurassic World to The Fallen Kingdom and he is also co-writing Star Wars Episode 9. I did hear about that, yes. And it is interesting he did direct the flop of a movie, The Book of Henry. Definitely oh, yeah. trying to be Oscar Beatty. Failed.
1: I remember when that one came out and no one went to go see it.
0: Yeah. Well, this movie was written by Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver, and it was also written by Colin Trevorrow and Derek Connolly. Right. At least for
1: this draft, because we have like 40 other people who wrote the past who knows how many drafts of this movie.
0: The movie is starring Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, Irfan Khan, Vincent D. Onofrio, Ty Simpkins, Nick Robinson, Jake Johnson... Omar Sy, B.D. Wong, Lauren Lapkus, Judy Greer, Andy Buckley, and Katie McGrath. So a fairly uh, well-known cast.
1: Yeah, we've got one or two returners. Uh, B.D. Wong is back for his role as basically the same guy as before. I think there's one other person that comes back. I can't remember. But yeah, other than that new people here, it's uh, essentially it pulls a pulls of Star Wars where it's a new trilogy, supposedly, for a new generation. Right. Uh, so, yeah, new characters, one or two returners. We're supposed to have Ian Malcolm come back for Fallen Kingdom. Uh, yeah, this is essentially pulling a Star Wars uh, with 7, 8, and 9. We have new characters for this new generation. Uh,
0: and it should be noted this did come out before Star Wars but yes yes it did in production around similar times I would assume
1: right yeah they would be they came out the same year didn't they yes yeah that's right because Star Wars didn't come out till December this was like essentially the uh one of the summer kickoffs if I remember right so yeah they they I think yeah these these two movies are have some pretty similar uh origins I suppose.
0: And it should be noted, Kathleen Kennedy produced both. She was a part of the Jurassic Park franchise, definitely a part of Star Wars. Spielberg was a part of Star Wars because he's best friends with George Lucas. Right. It's all kind of, that seems like kind of the thing now is let's revive these franchises, make a gajillion dollars out of them, give something new, do something old. It seems to be the new thing now. Right. Right. This, the music was done by Michael Giancino. Now, how familiar uh, are you with him, Alan?
1: Pronounced, I think, uh, Giacchino. Oh, I had to look this one up, too. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm actually very familiar with Michael Giacchino's work. I really enjoy some of his earlier stuff. I really enjoy like Ratatouille, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, the Incredibles is another great one from him. He doesn't. He's done quite a number of Pixar stuff. He's been doing a lot of Pixar. He did Inside Out as well, which is also a good score. Uh but he, I think he also did Rogue One, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And then he's also done a couple of Marvel movies. I think he did Doctor Strange, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so yeah, I'm very familiar with his work. I'm a big fan of his stuff when it's good. Um, so yeah, he's a pretty renowned composer. He might be taking over the uh, shoes of Hans Zimmer when Hans Zimmer passes or retires or whatever because he does a lot of stuff. Maybe not as consistently well as... Hans Zimmer, but he has some really good compositions. Like like I said, Ratatouille is one of my favorites from him. Uh, even Rogue One has some pretty good tracks to it, although I wouldn't call it that memorable like a Williams score or anything.
0: Right. John Williams did not come back for this movie. Right. I, I don't know why he was probably too busy scoring uh, epi- Star Wars Episode Seven would be my guess.
1: Yeah, that's probably what happened. Star Wars is a bit more important for him than Jurassic Park is. So, yeah. Well, we also didn't have him back for three, either. It was a different guy.
0: Right. That is correct. Uh, Now, Michael... How would you say it? Giaccio? Giacchino. Giacchino. Michael Giacchino. Nominated for two Oscars, and he actually won the... Oscar for original score for the movie Up, and like Alan mentioned, Ratatouille was also nominated for the Academy Award. But he's an extremely hot commodity right now. He is doing Incredibles 2, he's coming back for Jurassic World, he did the score for Coco, or for the Planet of the Apes, Spider-Man Homecoming, Uh, the Star Trek movies, Zootopia, Tomorrowland, Jupiter Ascending, and I could keep going on. He is really big right now.
1: Yeah, he's got a lot of stuff on his plate. And uh, similar fashion to Hans Zimmer, he's kind of, they're kind of in the same boat, although Hans Zimmer's just more well-known anyways.
0: The movie has, this movie has a production budget of $150 million, which is the biggest budget so far.
1: Right. Right. Is that, is that also adjusting for inflation or not? Uh,
0: well, if you do adjust for inflation, it still doesn't come up to 150 for the okay. other movies. Yeah. This movie, wow, it did gangbusters at the box office. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it did. I couldn't believe it when it first came out because everybody was talking about it. Domestically, it grossed $652 million. Uh, In the foreign market, it grossed over $1 billion for a worldwide total of over $1.6 billion.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of cash. I mean, it's only been what? Uh, this is a movie that was slated to come out in like 2000, and I think three or four yeah. was the original release date, until they pushed it to 2005, and then later. Uh, so yeah, it, this was not a not really a franchise that is that old. I mean, this came out in the 90s. Uh, 91 was the first Jurassic Park, and it re- it kept released two more up until 2001. So it's not that old. No. I mean, it could be worse. We could have a Spider-Man on our hands where we rebooted twice in a decade.
0: Right. The opening weekend, it was number 1, of course, 208 of course. million huge opening weekend, and they did it at the perfect time because shockingly, this was a summer release as I mentioned, it was June. The only other number like weekend movie that was just opening for the first time it was, it came in at number 21, and it had some weird title. I don't know. So, nothing else. Hmm. It, uh, the other movies that were out at the time were Spy, San Andreas, Insidious 3, Pitch Perfect 2, Mad Max Fury Road, Avengers 2, Age of Ultron, Tomorrowland, Poltergeist, Fast and Furious 7, Aloha, and Entourage. Those had been out for a number of weeks, at least over a month already. And so, yes, perfect timing. Nothing could touch it. It did amazing.
1: Right, and I'm sure nothing would wanted would have wanted to touch it either, because this is the return of Jurassic Park, which is supposed to be a really big deal at this point. So I'm pretty sure no one was like, I no, nah, nah, I'm not even gonna go near that, because they they would tank. It's just guaranteed at that point.
0: Adjusting for inflation, this movie is the second highest grossing domestic Jurassic Park movie, just barely behind the very original Jurassic Park. But worldwide, it is still huge with, like I said, well over a billion dollars. Oh, yeah.
1: I think this is like number three of the top grossing movies ever or something nuts like that.
0: Oh, yes. We'll talk about the records in just a minute. But for the overall series, it has grossed $3.6 billion. Crazy. crazy.
1: Uh, yeah, that's a very profitable franchise.
0: And especially for just four movies.
1: Right. Oh, uh, yeah, especially.
0: Now, this movie, like we said, broke a bunch of records. And since then, it has not kept some of those records, especially since Avengers Infinity War just came out. Yeah, that one kind of broke everything. <laughs> yeah, so this movie was the first to gross $500 million worldwide in one weekend. That is still an impressive feat, though. That is. This is the fifth highest-grossing movie of all time at the domestic box office. It is the fourth all-time highest-grossing movie worldwide. It is the third highest-grossing foreign opening. And it is still number one for opening weekends of the summer, just in general, and in the month of June.
1: That's pretty impressive. I mean... This is only what? This is in 2016, right?
0: 2015. The yeah,
1: 2015. That's right. So it's still holding those records. Uh, it's still pretty young. So I'm sure in the future these are going to be blown out of the water by whatever else comes out. I can't. Avatar two. That. Yeah, Avatar two will <laughs> probably break everything just like <laughs> Infinity War did. It'll hold the crown for a little bit, but every once Avatar two comes out eventually, uh, it's gonna be that's gonna be it.
0: Yeah, I mean, Black Panther uh, is higher up on a couple of these lists in this movie, which is interesting. Yeah. Now, the movie holds a solid seven on IMDb. Right.
1: I wonder how many of those are people excited that it's just the return of Jurassic Park and how many of them are legitimately going in for a critical view on it. I mean we'll get into that of course in a sec, but I'm really curious about that that score there.
0: It is good that this movie has upped the score because Jurassic Park 3 left the franchise with a 5.9. It Ooh, really yeah. did not do well with audiences. It was also the according to CinemaScore, score, Jurassic Park 3 was the audience's least favorite. Well this movie received an A from uh, audiences, which is the exact same as the very first drastic part.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so audiences seem to be, seem to be pretty pleased with it when it came out. I mean, it made a bunch of money, and the cinema score is very high. Uh, IMDb score is pretty medium, but still relatively high.
0: Yeah, having a seven on IMDb means you did a good job with your movie. Uh, right. Most movies, it seems like, have trouble getting. To seven in general, it seems like. And seven and above is is pretty good. Pretty well done. Right. Now, the trailer... Okay, I, I think the trailer looks solid. It looks like I'm going to be there on day one. But I gotta say, I found this trailer to be deceptive. The trailer is much more horrifying than the movie actually is, I would say. It's kind of painting a much darker, scarier movie it's a good trailer but one that you don't really get in the actual movie
1: yeah we're not Oh, not not only are we not using the original music from the score from the composition from chiquino but there's something else we have we do have a little bit of a motif with uh the original theme in here on like this piano that is very mellow. This whole trailer is very, very mellow. And you're right, it kind of clashes with the tone a little bit because it's not exactly representative of the movie as a whole. Uh, but yeah, at the very least, it gets the audience, it got me excited when I first saw it back in the day. But I was also a bit skeptical uh, with its release. Because I didn't know what the intentions were. I didn't know... At the time, I hadn't really gone back and watched any of the Jurassic Parks again. I mean, I'd seen it all, of course, at that point. But yeah, this trailer is a little bit deceptive. I would even go as far as to say that it's just an okay trailer because, at the very least, it kind of shows that, yes, the park has returned, essentially. It's now a living, breathing, active community that people go there and see. So we know that much. And essentially dinosaurs break loose again. That's really all we know, which seems to be kind of like a repeat. But hey, maybe they'll introduce something new. Maybe they'll have something more that the original didn't have, which is why I originally got invested in seeing it.
0: I saw this movie for the first time, I believe in Tennessee. I was on summer vacation with my family and I remember seeing it in a fairly packed theater I was a little bugged throughout the movie though because they the projector was angled a little too low so there was light from the projector hitting the back of the seat in front of me. What? Yeah, it was very annoying. That is weird.
1: That's interesting. I've never heard of the projector doing that before. That's interesting. Someone needs to f- fix that. <laughs> well, my original experience, I actually did get to see this in IMAX. I I think it was also in 3D if I'm not mistaken. I may have been opening weekend if I'm not mistaken too. Uh audience was pretty mellow throughout the whole thing from what I remember. Uh but yeah, I remember my uncle paid for my ticket and everything. It there was a whole bunch of us that went that cuz he used to do that for us. And so yeah, I remember seeing it IMAX 3D. That was actually pretty cool to see. I never really seen an, a Jurassic Park movie in, in IMAX or any kind of really any theater at all. So that was pretty cool.
0: Something I want to mention about the title is this is actually not the first Jurassic Park movie to use the word world. If you'll remember, yes, if you'll remember, the second movie is called The Lost World. Right, I remember now. I also wanted to mention Michael Crichton created and directed the movie Westworld, which is a very popular HBO show right now. And along with that, There was Rome World and Medieval World within that movie. So using the word world... You did a
1: review on that, didn't you? Uh, Pretty, it it was a while ago. About a year ago or so.
0: Yes, you can listen to my review of Westworld. It's fairly short. It's like five minutes long or something. Or you can go and read the written review, which isn't too long either, of the very first movie, Westworld. So... Putting World in the title of this is not very original. They are drawing from the previous installment and also from Crichton's already body of work where he put just World at the end of the name. Right, right. I did find it interesting Spielberg was fairly involved with this movie. All through its production and then when I popped on the special special features for the Blu-ray, Him and Colin Trevorrow were side by side, like, doing everything together, it seemed like, talking about the making of this movie.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. He stated that he really was pretty careful on new ideas that were coming into the series so like you said, throughout the entire production, he was very well involved with it all and made sure that there was – that's part of the reason why it took so long for this movie to come out is because uh, he just didn't like all the ideas that were being pitched to him in his scripts. Uh, so when he found that he one that he liked, uh, then he finally got, you got to run with it. And yeah, he had a very big hand in this production, which is – Basically, even though he didn't take on the directing role, he still had a very big influence as to how this movie is produced still. I mean, he I think he is one of the executive producers still, if I'm not mistaken.
0: I do find it funny how Spielberg was super excited to direct Jurassic World. He was actually going to direct the movie ER based off of the TV show. And then Michael Crichton told him about this book he was writing. So then he was super pumped to He's like, okay, I want to make it, and he did, and it was incredible, and it still is an icon of cinema. Yeah. And then when he came to do the second one, he was kind of running out of steam a little bit. He was just like, okay, let's do this. And then by the third one came, he was like, I'll produce, but this movie has given me a huge headache. This franchise has. I don't want to focus on it. I want to do other stuff. Well, then right. as soon as three was done, he was like, I've got an idea for four. I don't want to direct but here's my ideas and so no matter how much this franchise has like put on spielberg's like i don't know working capacity Mm -hmm. he seems to always want to come back and be a part of this and do something new with the series
1: oh yeah and i don't blame him either because this was one of this is easily when you say uh steven spielberg i mean this is one of the things you probably go-to is uh, this or E.T. or maybe even Schindler's List, this is all Spielberg, this is has his hands all over it uh, when it comes to Jurassic Park. I mean, you can't say Jurassic Park without thinking Spielberg, so I can see why. This is kind of like his baby, essentially.
0: It was only a year after the release of Jurassic Park 3 that Spielberg said Jurassic Park 4 was coming. It would be right. the last in the series, and it would ignore the events of 1 through 3. But he said it was the best story since the first one, and this was all the way back in 2002. Right. It really right
1: after 3 had just released. they I think they even said at that point that they were going to try and slate it for a 2005 release.
0: Yes, that is correct. Yeah. Uh, they already had William Monahan on to do the screenwriting. Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy would produce it, and it was slated for summer 2005. But Joe Johnston did not want to come back mm-hmm. to direct, and he did not like, honestly, Spielberg's ideas because he felt Spielberg's ideas were kind of going to go somewhere in a different direction. Also, it is interesting to note that Sam Neill was signed to a contract of three movies. Well, at that point, he had only appeared in two, and he said in a 2001 interview he couldn't imagine how he could come back, even though he was still slated for those three movies. Uh, also, in January 30th, 2003, it was reported that the story would involve dinosaurs migrating to the Costa Rican mainland. A team of experts, including Alan Grant and, yes, Jeff Goldblum, was wanting to come back as Ian Malcolm, they would chart an expedition to one of Injun's offshore islands and discover the dinosaurs breeding uncontrollably. Uh, The plot would involve the characters devising a solution to restrict the spread of the dinosaurs and prevent an ecological disaster. It was also reported that the plot contained a top-secret aspect. Early concept art depicted genetically engineered human dinosaur mercenaries. Yeah, that's when things got weird, and they were really... Yeah, I mean, that
1: does sound kind of interesting, though, too. Essentially, it's kind of calling back to uh, the first one. Now we have genetically engineered dinosaurs. We're going to introduce that into the human DNA. What will that do? That sounds kind of interesting, but yeah, at the same time, kind of crazy as well. And that seems to be a common thing between all of the rewrites is... It's kind of always crazy with them all, and they there isn't really one that's always settled on until the very end that everyone seems to agree on.
0: Right, and this seemed to be kind of the constant with all the rewrites. They wanted to see, would it be possible if dinosaurs evolved into humans, or humans evolved into dinosaurs, or what if we crossbred them, or did something right. genetically weird? I can't even imagine that being on screen. Yes, it's interesting. But in April 2003, Stan Winston confirmed his special effects studio was in the design phase for the film. And apparently Spielberg wanted, because visual effects had gone, had really improved since the first movie, he wanted to bring in some scenes from the original novel Jurassic Park and its sequel. Oh, yes, right. And also in 2003, Kieran Knightley said she was in consideration for uh, two separate roles, including a small role as a granddaughter.
1: Yeah, and she almost got the part until they wrote her out in one of the next drafts.
0: (laughs) Yes, uh, until that awkward moment when she is written out. And Keira Knightley would have been a very uh, big-name actress to get at the time because of the Pirates of the Caribbean fame.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she may have... Well, let's think here. She may have been busy with one of the... Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies at that point. But I think she would have fit in pretty well with the Jurassic Park series, if, I'm, if I am would have been right. Oh,
0: sure. I, I could definitely see her fitting in with it. Uh, apparently, Sam Neill was confirmed to reprise his character right. with filming set to begin in 2004 in California and Hawaii.
1: Right. So essentially, at this point, they had a screenwriter. They had the actors. They had uh, a couple of characters. I think Ian Malcolm at one point was thinking was was going to come back. I know at least Jeff Goldblum had expressed that he wouldn't mind coming back. Laura Dern here to a little bit also expressed that she wouldn't mind coming back. Uh, so yeah, we had essentially everything. We had a script. I think it's the first draft of a script ready to go. We had a producer. We had um, a couple other people that were just... The script... The thing was ready to launch, but then it got a rewrite and things just didn't work on from there
0: yes even richard attenborough's character john hammond was rep- was going to reprise his role that was reported in september 2003
1: that's right yeah so, that was the other character i was thinking of
0: right so it was going to be you know pretty much all of the original cast with a you know new script for the new millennium with some new fresh faces from some popular movies but like you said in april 2004 script doctors were being sought to work on the film's story which involve dinosaurs being trained by the government to carry and use weapons in battle. Now, this is when we start to get the idea of what we have in this movie.
1: Right. Yeah. There's this idea, and I think the uh, training of the dinosaurs idea for has made its way from the original inception of the of the first draft to the final draft, where we're actually seeing it now. So that's one of those two ideas. I know have kind of made its way through. Um, somehow made its way twig- through all the scripts into being in the Jurassic world now.
0: Eventually, we got a just kind of a brand new script. Yeah. <laughs> in general. Yeah. Uh, it would involve Isla Nublar engine would have been taken over by the Grindel Corporation, a Swiss holding company, while creatures from the island have begun attacking people on the mainland of Central and North America. The script featured a brief return to Isla Nublar and would focus on a mercenary named Nick Harris, a new character who is sent by John Hammond to the island to retrieve a canister of dinosaur DNA that was lost during the events of the first film. That idea was actually one of Spielberg's kind of first ideas while he was filming the first Jurassic Park movie. He said, okay, I'm going to leave this here for now, but I will come back to it probably in a sequel. That never happened, but I guess for number four, he thought it would
1: yeah, and this wouldn't have been a bad idea either, I don't think, because, a, uh, kind of like what Spielberg had said, he was wanting to do something that was not necessarily the same as the other three, uh, wanting the four to be on kind of his own, and so this brief return to Ilhanubar would have been, I think, a good idea, if it was, of course, executed correctly, through the eyes of Spielberg. I think that would have been really the only way that it would have worked. But then we got, then this well, this, this draft actually pushed the pushed the movie back to a late 2005 release, I think. Yeah. It had pushed it back a little bit with this new
0: rewrite. Yes, that is true. Uh, There was a... Kathleen Kennedy's husband came on to produce. That was in 2004. And it was also reported that Alex Proyas, who did iRobot, Knowing, Dark City, um, most recently... Uh, the Egyptian movie about the gods.
1: Oh, yeah. The XS God. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, uh,
0: What's it called? What is that movie gods called? Gods of Egypt or something?
1: Yeah, something like that that nobody went to see.
0: Well, anyways, yes. The movie was expected to begin filming in March 2005 and was... Well, it, yeah, it, it got pushed back even then. And in April 2005... Stan Winston confirmed the film was on hold because of repeated revisions of the film's script, none of which satisfied Spielberg, like Alan hinted to earlier.
1: And right after this, they did get, it was 2006, they said that there was another script that was in the works, and they were predicting that it would come out in around 2008. They were wanting it to come out after Indiana Jones 4, because Spielberg would have been busy definitely on that project and so that was their idea originally was to get that out uh hopefully by 2008 uh and at that point they were thinking of having uh Sam oh, no no there was some back and forth between Laura Dern and Sam Neil if they would or wouldn't come back at this point they kind of came there the the consensus was always back and forth between them at this point too so It was kind of up in the air. They were hoping that they'd have it ready by Indiana Jones 4, uh, but that didn't happen. I guess technically didn't happen.
0: And even then, after it was probably early 2009, I think Marshall and Kennedy were asked if there's still any development on the sequel, and Kennedy said, no, I don't know. You know, when Michael Crichton passed away, I sort of felt maybe that's it. Maybe that's a sign we don't mess with it. So at this point, it had been, well, from 2009 to 2002, it had been about seven years trying to right. write this script and get people involved. It is, it was a huge mess.
1: Yeah. And on top of all this, right before, uh, indiana jones came out there was a writer's strike and so if anything else it was pushed back to 2009 hopefully Mm -hmm. because of this writer's strike and they couldn't really find anybody to write it because nobody wanted to write anything because of the strike
0: also back in 2005 when they're still working on it spielberg had an idea to include a scene from Crichton's the lost world novel that would involve a character on a motorcycle as they flee from raptors now we see that kind of reworked into this movie
1: Right, so yeah, this is another one of those ideas that kind of just made it through all the scripts. uh, This motorcycle idea. Well, it wasn't long after 2009, I think it was actually around 2010, uh, they came out and said, Hey, uh, Jurassic Park is coming back, and uh, it's going to be a brand new trilogy. That was what they said, and that's kind of what ended up happening. They eventually got a script somewhat in the works. And then uh, 2011... Uh, Spielberg approached a dude named Mark uh, Protosevich. I think is how you say his last name, and he said, "Hey, can you write this movie?" And so he wrote two treatments for Spielberg, and I think he eventually—I uh, don't know if he got a writing credit—but he did kickstart the what was going to become Jurassic Park at this point, uh, and. 2012, then they got the two writers from the Planet of the Apes prequels movies to get on, this is when Brad Bird suggested the director we have now, so yeah, finally, after years, after a whole decade at this point, of trying to get this movie off the ground, we're finally getting some steam, and people actually wanting to work on it, and it's about 2011, 2012 at this point, things are beginning to fall into place, finally.
0: Now, as for this movie, just a little bit more trivia that I dug up while watching it. There are a few deleted scenes, and I'm so glad they cut them because they're really hokey dialogue. Yeah. And there is a scene that I thought was worth mentioning because in the first movie, when they dug into the poop, it was gross. They brought it back, I believe, for number three, and then they did technically bring it back for this movie, but it was cut where it involved Chris Pratt's character and Bryce Dallas Howard's character uh, rubbing oh, poop yeah. on themselves. So There's a bit of humor in this movie that we'll discuss that I think kind of falls flat, but, oh man, I'm so thankful they cut this or it would have been much worse. Yeah, they're
1: they're one to keep that one joke alive with the poop. Yeah. I'm, I don't... Maybe if they did not right, it would have worked here because this movie is, I mean, just hokey all the way around. Uh, but yeah... Uh, There's not really a
0: need for that joke to be continued to return. Well, I'll discuss and give my thoughts whether I think this movie is like just hokey all the way around. Yeah, but there is an unfilmed scene that would have involved the Indominus Rex being startled by an animatronic T-Rex at the park and subsequently tearing the head off of the animatronic animal. Spielberg objected to the scene because he believed it would be disrespectful to Stan Winston for suggesting that computer animated dinosaurs are better than animatronics. I don't know if that was exactly Trevorrow's or whoever wrote its intention to say that specific message, but still, I can definitely see that. And honestly, this movie does use a little bit of animatronics, but not much. And honestly, it's sorely missed, I feel.
1: Yeah, we'll get into how it all works with and without the animatronics. I think there was at least one scene that I'm aware of that has one. But yeah, that would have been interesting though, kind of, I don't know, I can see why they didn't fly with Spielberg, how uh, it was scared by an animatronic T-Rex. Yeah, I can see why Spielberg would say absolutely not
0: to that. Well, listeners, we are about to get into spoilers with Jurassic World. If you have not seen Jurassic World and you don't want the movie spoiled for you, then go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and watch the movie or go ahead and listen to previous installments in the series to make sure that you're all caught up. And when you're ready, come back here and click play. Brothers Zach, played by Nick Robinson, and Gray, played by Ty Simpkins, must go away while their parents meet with divorce lawyers. Hey, that kind of rhymed. Their Aunt Claire, played by Bryce Dallas Howard, runs operations of the dinosaur attraction park Jurassic World, which is owned by Mr. Masrani, played by Irfan Khan. Zack is mad at the world and Gray is filled with wonder. In order to keep that wow factor, the InGen genetics team has cooked up a new dinosaur called the Indominus Rex. On the other side of the island, Owen, played by Chris Pratt, and Barry, played by Omar Sy, are raptor trainers who work for the nefarious Hoskins, played by Vincent D'Onofrio, who puts to use the raptors, who wants to put to use the raptors as combat soldiers for war. Claire is asked to get the opinion of Owen about the Indominus Rex before the release of it to the public. Once at the enclosure, Owen believes the dino to have escaped, but he soon finds out the creature can mask its heat signature. The creature tricks the humans into letting it escape and begins to wreak havoc upon the park and its inhabitants. Meanwhile, Zack and Gray have ventured off into a restricted area. It isn't long before they come face-to-face with the Rex and barely escape. Claire, naturally worried about her nephews, won't who won't pick up the phone, tasks Owen to find her nephews. Once the four reunite and find safety, they come to realize Masrani has died trying to fight the Rex and Injun has taken over command of the park. Hoskins, now in charge, forms a plan to use the raptors to track and kill the rex. The only problem is the rex is part raptor and turns the raptors against the humans. Claire, with the know-how of Nephew Gray, runs to the T-Rex paddock to set it free and let the king of the dinos battle it out once and for all. But the T-Rex is about to lose when the last remaining raptor teams up with the rex along with the sea creature Mosasaurus to take down the Indominus rex. In the process, Hoskins is killed by a raptor, and Wu, who is reprised by BD Wong, gets away from the secret gets away with the secret dino plans. After the battle is over, Grey and Zack are reunited with their parents, and Owen and Claire start their new relationship. Roaming free on the island, the T Rex unleashes his kingly roar while overlooking the island as credits roll. Okay, so I guess Reading that plot that I wrote can make the movie sound kind of hokey.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of what I meant when I said that there's pretty hokey elements in this movie. Uh, but plot okay, but hokeyness aside, the plot of this I think is a pretty inventive plot. Kind of, I I mean, at moments it is, and I really like the fact that. we are skipping the po- we're skipping the point where the ethics of should we build this park and you know raise these animals. We're skipping this because we've kind of already gone over that anyways in the first one and we're getting right into the thick of it. This is already a thing in fact not only that but audiences are kind of starting to become desensitized to all the dinosaurs because of how often they've seen them and these are there are moments where I'm just like that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of commentary here between uh, the big companies and the consumers and a lot of money talk. There's a lot of that kind of stuff in this and so that's one thing I tended to really enjoy uh, is the fact that we have this a lot of this talk of um, okay well no the fact that one of the first things that Bryce Dallas Howard does when we see her is say that they don't really care to see a T Rex anymore uh, they've seen them so we want to give some we want to give the audience something new something scary that they haven't seen before and in one scene with I think it's uh, Chris Pratt's character uh, he even said she even says that. Well, I think he mentions that uh is it good to scare him or not and she goes absolutely. Oh anyway, no, that's for the CEO. So yeah, interesting stuff here.
0: Yes, this does have very much a commentary on movies in general where it almost seems like some of the older like older visual effects don't cut it anymore. What can we do now with CGI because yeah, we've already seen that stuff before. So now it makes sense to create through the power of computers and whatnot some new creatures something much more frightening something much bigger so that's that's definitely a big commentary talking to the audience because the audience wants something much bigger and better just regular old things will not do it will not cut it anymore and that's why right
1: and I think that's no more evident than the opening shot of this movie which is the two the, the eggs cracking with the raptors inside of it. Once the egg once they puncture the egg and their claws grab the outside, it's clear that they're CGI, but like you said, it's kind of going to show that okay, well now what can we do with CGI at this point? I mean, it's become really advanced and if you've seen any of the Planet of the Apes movies, especially the last two, the CGI has gone to a point where it becomes hard to know what is and isn't real. Although, I'll state in this one, and I'll talk about this more in detail later, I can see where there is CGI used here versus Planet of the Apes, which is a bit
0: different. I do agree. I believe the CGI of this movie is, when compared to previous installments, fairly well done, I guess, because clearly this is decades later but yeah, yeah honestly i can tell everything is cgi and that i'm i'm really frustrated because that was the wonder of jurassic park is these were like real things people were interacting with clearly they weren't real dinosaurs but nevertheless right. there were still these tangible dinosaurs that looked amazing thanks to the effects of stan winston and we don't right. get that here there everybody's just interacting with cgi creatures except for maybe one or two scenes that i'm like oh well right. that is obviously an animatronic so there's a big difference you can tell in this movie oh
1: yeah yeah and i gotta agree it's a bit of a frustration that the cgi in this although i can't say it's bad because i don't think it is it still looks like cgi and that's kind of one of the things that hasn't really been fixed since the first one is that the first one did it almost perfectly because we get to see not as much as the dinosaurs as you would think but whenever they are shown Sometimes yes, you can tell it's CGI, but they—it's done in such a way where it—it it doesn't pull you out of the moment because of how subtle the dinosaurs are used in that. In this one, it's completely different because dinosaurs are used so often in this movie that you begin to know, well, of course, that's CGI because there's no way that can be real because it's used so often. Whereas in the original, yeah, you maybe you knew that it was fake, but it. It gave off the impression that it was real. And Spielberg being Spielberg, he gave off an even bigger reaction to the audience of how they of, that, of them knowing that, yeah, they, I can believe this. I kind of don't feel the same way with this one anymore.
0: I think it's a little strange that in the uh, special features, Colin Trevorrow was really excited about how him and the DP wanted to be very old school with everything. They wanted to shoot on film. They wanted to do certain techniques that have been kind of I guess you could say outdated in a way now with the use of digital, which is so prevalent and pretty much everything is shot digital now instead of film. Well that's a very Spielberg thing. Spielberg is like no, I want it. he still shoots on film. So that makes sense why Uh, they would do that but I I do find that a little strange that um they were going to shoot on film but they still wanted to be so CGI heavy Hmm, I don't know
1: yeah I wonder if I wonder if these old school tricks especially here uh if it's just a marketing thing to say oh we're trying to do something original like the original one did because yeah you're right CGI heavy uh Sure, probably shot an IMAX film for the IMAX theaters, but it's so 21st century in terms of not only just what it was filmed on, but also the editing choices and uh, some of the shot composition. It feels very new and maybe little, I don't. that's what I'm saying. It doesn't make complete sense with that quote that they're going to try and do all the things that Spielberg would want to do. Uh, it sounds like a marketing trick.
0: I i got a i got a little issue with the way Jurassic World like nonchalantly the title flashes on the screen and then it's gone. Yeah, it's just like oh, it's not a big deal. Yeah, it's Jurassic World. Like it's just so sandwiched in there with the rest of the credits. I don't know. Right, I, it's a little nitpick for me. I I just stood out to me that way. Right. Also, yeah, yeah. Also. Good. I guess this is a Christmas movie, sort of.
1: (laughs) Is it? Oh, I guess you're right, because the opening does have them saying Merry, having a Christmas, uh, family Christmas or whatever. I
0: I found it to be very strange. Clearly, it is winter, but that doesn't mean it needs to be in December. Nevertheless, we get Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas song playing over for them going away. and I was like, wait, why would they do this?
1: Yeah, maybe I'm guessing because it's kind of representative of the family, anyways. The mom and dad we find out later are going to get in divorce, and so usually winter can be expressed through death, uh, or decay, or something like that because of everything's white, everything's kind of a monochrome color, everything is already kind of dead you know, because of the season change. Maybe that was the reason why is for more of a subtle hint that this family is kind of going through a rough patch right now. Uh, possibly you to the point where the parents are going to get divorced. Maybe that was the decision. Why? Although I don't. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. It is an odd choice to begin in winter.
0: I did really like the shot of the bird's foot slamming down in the snow. Yes, and it was. Yes, just that
1: different. was funny. I did. That got a laugh out of me.
0: I do find it interesting that it seems like we're going to balance our time between two young protagonists and two adult protagonists, and I think that right. kind of just speaks to this movie in general, where it it seems like it's going for every audience.
1: Oh yeah, male, yeah, female, it's to get young, get everybody old. In here yeah. as
0: possible. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'll say this: uh, there are moments when. Going back and forth between these characters works. And when we get to those moments, I'll talk about it. But we spend a lot of time on Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt. A lot more than we do on the kids. Um, The kids, I feel, were kind of just written in just because we have to get the kids in on something. Uh, They don't have nearly as much purpose as they do from the first one, which also had the uh, grandkids of uh, Hammond. Because, yes, silly that they were there, but at the same time, they're Hammond's kids. They were given a good purpose. They're a learning tool for Sam Neill's character. Here, they're just here because we have to market to the kids somehow,
0: it feels. They aren't given much at all, which is really sad. I I feel the same way, and the kids are fairly flat characters. that They just seem kind of wedged in there, so... Younger audiences that do go see the movie, they have something to relate to because they're trying incredibly hard to really make these kids relatable with their different avenues of life and maybe different life circumstances. It's a little too much for me. And I was really worried that Ty Simpkins' uh, character, Gray, was going to just annoy the crap out of me in this movie. And thankfully he doesn't. I believe. More so in the beginning, he is a little annoying, but not to the point of it being too much.
1: Right. And I'll say this. The boys kind of have a chemistry. I feel like that's even pushing it a little bit to say that they have a chemistry. They're the the big brother is very much a too-cool-for-school guy. A parent, I, is he going off to college or something? Because I keep hearing talk of him, he's leaving soon, or something along, along those lines. I
0: guessed he was probably 16 because he said he would be leaving in two years, which would put him at 18.
1: All right, I guess that makes a bit more sense. But anyways, yeah, the kids here, I can't say that I like either of them. One of them, so okay, the younger kid, uh, I think it's pretty unmistakable that his character is kind of meaning meaning for him to be representative of us because he's very much stuck in the past he when we first meet him he has a little 90s toy where you put in a little disc of images and you can kind of flip through them I had one of those when I was a kid those are very 90s Um, he or older is yes or older and so his character is very much stuck in this time uh, he knows a lot about dinosaurs. We come to find out. Uh, he is kind of his dream to go here to Jurassic the park. So yeah, he's very much stuck. Uh, he's very much representative of maybe you or me, Corbin, where we saw the original back when we were kids, and we wanted to go there. And now it's a reality at this point. And so he's always very excited to go when he gets to the park, and he's always so filled with so much energy, but also a lot of emotion. Uh, maybe a bit too much. But yeah, he's an interesting character nonetheless. Um, I just wish, like you said, that these characters had more to them because they are really flat there's they're like bare bones. these are kids' characters. kids will get into these.
0: can we agree there's some really awkward scenes with the older brother when he is just constantly staring at females, and like I said that's I mean that's true to real life, clearly. But do we need that many scenes where he is just staring at females, they laugh at him, he's trying to talk with them, and some are just super awkward?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. There, He comes off as very much as a creep. He's <laughs> kind of... Okay, even in the opening with him and his girlfriend, it's kind of just hokey anyways because she's like, I love you, you call me every day. I don't know how she got there because they kind of don't live around other people anyways. Uh, yeah. Him and girls are weird throughout this entire movie. Um, He kind of just likes to stare, and even his brother calls about it and says, why don't you just go talk to him? You know, it's kind of silly. Uh, Maybe a little bit more than real life, in my opinion. But, yeah, weird all all the way around.
0: So once we get to the park, we kind of have this introduction of the original jurassic park theme and the boy is running up as the doors open to look at it and then we cut away and i was like well that kind of killed it and then they're just running up escalators running into rooms and then the big shebang of the score the climax of the score pulled off goes out onto the balcony and sees the park and i was like oh okay well (laughs) it's just kind of a meh park it's just it's not even as good looking as a disney park
1: yeah, I mean, it's cool to see the park finally realized, and now it's full-blown, everyone's coming to it, all that kind of stuff. That is a, a cool idea, and finally we get to see that happen, because that was a whole goal in the first one, um, for, for John Hammond, at least. And this one, yeah, even I was like, when they re- when they reached the, the giant doors, which is a, kind of a popular thing, an iconic... Uh, an iconic iconic scene in the original of those doors opening. Yeah, it feels very meh. It is kind of it's very quick, too, and it feels like, oh, okay. And then when we get to the park, although the park does look nice um, in terms of the grand scale of things, you're right. It kind of leaves a lot to be desired. Um, part of me kind of is like, well, this is all CGI. And then the other half of me is just like, well, it's nice to see this open, yeah, it it doesn't fulfill completely, which I think becomes a running issue I have with this movie.
0: I didn't even think about the park being CGI, but nevertheless, I think the big get for this movie is that it is Jurassic Park realized. This is Hammond's vision. Come to life. This is what we didn't get to see in the first one we've never got to see before so it is really cool to see this theme park and i think they do a really good job of showing off different attractions that do seem very theme park-esque so i think the movie does a good job with that and you'll also notice throughout the park there is a number of references and callbacks to the other ones there's the hammond creation lab you actually see a spinosaurus skeleton towards the end of the movie oh yeah
1: i think twice we see it yeah uh I think one time, yeah, in this opening, and the time, the T-Rex comes in and knocks it over. Yes. Kind of a spit to uh, the third one. Oh, yeah.
0: So you do notice a number... You see um, a mosquito trapped in amber or whatever that stuff was. Big replicas of that. So there's lots of callbacks to the original, except apparently... Apparently, if you wear a Jurassic Park t-shirt, that is in poor taste, and you might be fired for it. How
1: did he get that? They say he got it from eBay, 150 bucks. but how did he get that t-shirt? It seems silly that the movie would write this joke in.
0: Yeah, that seems very... I, I don't think we ever saw any... Uh, Jurassic Park t-shirts Or anything in the first one I guess they had already printed them up They were some limited edition item I don't know, I've got one up in right. my room Did not cost me 150 bucks.
1: <laughs> right, see I'm wondering this Because the reality that's built Is the original Jurassic Park Didn't open because of bad things That happened, the dinosaurs got loose Right, or The people that were in the park They couldn't open it because It would have been way too dangerous I'm just wondering how those t-shirts got out if that was the case. Uh, Maybe there's something that I guess there's something that just wasn't explained and the movie doesn't really take time to do that. But anyways, yeah, that was kind of where I was like, uh, now I'm confused when that joke came up.
0: So, well, okay. I do really like Jake Johnson's character, Lowry. He's really funny in this movie. And I think he, I, I don't know. I think he brings a little bit of flavor to this movie that is mostly kind of flat with the characters.
1: So, Lowry, he's the guy with all the toys and the right. shirt, right? Okay, yeah. I I have a bad problem with names. <laughs> I know faces and characters, but I don't know names. Uh, I'm going to take the opposite approach. There are moments where I thought he was funny, but for the most part, I am not a fan of the humor of this movie just in general. Um, I found it, for me, to be pretty hokey uh, that he has all of these diorama of dinosaurs on, on his desk, and he's always spitting these somewhat sarcastic but also just very shallow jokes i don't know i didn't find his character to be all that good in my own opinion and in the scene later when he gave essentially is going to give up his life uh i didn't feel anything for him hardly at all throughout this movie he felt like a character that was he is a character that is only there for comic relief.
0: I did laugh during that scene, I gotta admit. There was a number of scenes where I laughed, but there was a couple, especially when the kids were driving the Jeep, magically got that Jeep to work, driving it to the park yeah. and the guards are we'll like talk about that. Yeah, and the guards are like, Well, never seen that before. I was like, Is that supposed to be funny?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of those kinds of jokes. If you want that don't fly with me.
0: If you want some really bad humor then go to the deleted scenes where Chris Pratt says something like humans are an outdated species and it's just a really garbage humor and thankfully most of that was excised. But anyway, speaking of characters, Bryce Dallas Howard's character honestly I think turns in a flat for, flat performance for most of the movie. There is a couple scenes where she gives some decent emotion, but I was a little annoyed that uh, Aunt Claire, in my opinion, should have been Ariana Richards' character Lex from the first movie.
1: That would have been interesting if they went that route.
0: Right, and her nephew should have been the sons of her brother Tim, played by Joseph Mazzalo.
1: That would have been an interesting route had they gone down that way.
0: I, I think this is a, that might have I think this is a huge missed opportunity because yeah. it makes sense because those two are all grown up now. Lex, it feels like she can do what her grandpa did, but you know, honor his memory and do it right, like he wanted it done right. Eventually, in the second movie, Tim's not doing well apparently, and his two sons are shipped off to there. I'm just like, man, this is such a missed opportunity. How do they miss this
1: right there are a couple of ideas that I had for the script and now I'll, I'll there's one idea I want to I want to pitch to you but that doesn't happen until later because I've we went to get to there that point in the, in the story but yeah that is a pretty good idea I don't know maybe that was one of the ideas that was brought up when they were rewriting constantly for all of these scripts um I will say this, yes, I do agree with you. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard does an okay job here. She's done much better in a lot of other projects. Um, her character, even, okay, even her character is pretty flat here as well. There isn't much depth to her character. She's just kind of there as the CEO of this company. Um, I think really the only character with any kind of depth is Chris Pratt's character. But even then, he's still pretty flat. I would agree with you. I think that Bryce Dallas Howard is... She does a okay job here. I wouldn't really call it good.
0: The character I'm most confused about is Mr. Masrani, who is pretty much the owner of the park, but they're still also board of directors, and somehow Injun is still involved and can take over. I don't know if he works for Engine. I just don't even understand who works for who, who's the boss, what is going on. And oh, yeah.
1: I absolutely agree. He's quite the confusing character. His intentions go all, all over the place.
0: Well, there's a dropped line where he says, John Hammond trusted him with his dying wish right and i don't know what that was they don't tell us but they kind of it seems to allude that john hammond's dying wish was to spare no expense he does bring that line back up yep that that's very confusing though because the last time the last we ever see of john hammond is in the very end of jurassic park 2 when he is basically saying how he's done a 180 with his attitude and he just wants those dinosaurs to live in peace on the island there was never any i mean when they were talking of bringing him back for a new movie he was thinking of uh breeding dinosaurs that just couldn't uh they were infertile or something now that was kind of an idea he tried in the first movie anyways I just don't understand Maserani's connection, and honestly, I find him to be fairly annoying, and I don't find him to be funny. He has some really garbage philosophy where he says the key to life is to accept you're never in control. I'm like, haha, that's some silly wink and nod to the dinosaurs are going to take over or whatever right. weird character.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, he is... I think he's one of the more all over the place characters in this because on one hand if I remember right and from what I understand it sounds like John Hammond told him to essentially open the park at all costs if you can. Um, I don't know why he would do that. Um, We find out, I mean really the only thing we ever see is from the first two is he tried in the first one and had a site B for the second one. For them to try out trial, is a, essentially, is a trial period and seeing what would happen if we bred dinosaurs. So, with this one, it makes no sense that John Hammond would say open the park with this man who we've not only never met, but even he is just his character is just all over the place. He feels really sketchy because I don't know if his intentions are good or if they are bad. It it seems like it's very much in the middle, and it's hard for me to trust his character because of how in the middle he is. Even then, I don't see—even he seems to be plagued by this idea of money, which is a constant theme in this entire movie, is getting more money. What can we do to bring in more money for this park? What will audiences pay to see? He seems to be in this idea of money, and— That is not John Hammond's original idea. And I understand, yes, that this company now is kind of beginning to spit in the face of John Hammond because all they are about is money, not for the enjoyment of others. Which is very much the opposite of whatever Hammond wanted wanted Jurassic Park to be. So, yeah. And then we have this helicopter side plot that he is learning to get his helicopter license. But that goes absolutely nowhere except that it kills him later. Because we need him to die. Honestly, Bryce Dallas Howard should have been the CEO,
0: and this guy should have been gone.
1: Yeah, I, that's what should have happened. He shouldn't have even be here in the. He shouldn't be here in the first
0: place. No, I yeah, his character is a waste of time, and it's very unbelievable. This they basically don't have really any contingency plans for controlling oh, these yeah. dinosaurs if something goes really bad. Like they do have the original team, but once they're gone. They have to rely on their boss Masrani, who wants to be the hero who just crashes the helicopter and unleashes the pterodactyls onto or the weird T-Rex-headed pterodactyl hybrids, which are so yeah. goofy looking onto the people. It's just that's really dumb. But I gotta say, my favorite character in this movie is Chris Pratt's character of Owen. I do like how he's tough, he's in charge, and. Uh, but I am going to take a little bit of issue with this raptor training sequence we're coming to. Okay. Uh, I do got to say the music and surround sound is great on the Blu-ray. So it does work really well, especially in this scene, but okay. So the raptor CGI is fine, but I got to say the raptors in Jurassic Park three look better than these. Because it's a really great blend of animatronics and CGI. I can tell these are CGI.
1: Oh, yeah. They only... Like I said before, there's only one moment where I saw that, yeah, that is an animatronic. Every other moment with the dinosaurs is CGI. I can tell. It... Although the Raptors do look good, and I still stand by my opinion that the dinosaurs all look good here, you can you can tell. And when they utilize them so much, it began to pull me out. And yeah, this this raptor training scene this was what made people very controversial. Uh, no, this is what was a very controversial subject because in the one of the first in the first trailer, uh, Chris Pratt was shown riding his motorcycle with the. Uh, raptors, everyone was just like, uh, no, when that came out. And they kind of gave a better explanation as to what exactly went on. But yeah, still maybe a controversial subject, even now that we are beginning to
0: train the
1: raptors.
0: I guess they don't have, like, too much of a problem that he can train them because that's the whole point of the theme park is training the animals. To do fun little things, I guess. But what I do kind of have a problem with is Chris Pratt's reasoning for not wanting them to be soldiers. I don't think he gives a sufficient reason. I actually am kind of on the side of Hoskins where he's like, if we could unleash these things during a war, I mean, I guess I feel like they would just get shot down and blown up like we see later on they could be taken out fairly easily. But if it means right. saving actual men and women from battle and using them to, like you said, run into caves and sniff things out, makes sense to me. But Owen and uh, his pal, they're like, these animals have feelings and they have rights and you're a jerk. And I'm, I'm thinking, no, I'm actually going to side with Hoskins in this situation.
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest... Uh criticisms of Hodgkin's character and his motivation is that it's it's like we took really any other animal and militarized any other animal. I guess a horse doesn't really count because it's not going into battle. Uh, it, it was more or less carrying a person who was going into battle. But uh, regard this, they're, they're supposed to be killing machines, uh, these dinosaurs. They're meant to be trained to kill the enemy. They're supposed to shrink them into a very small size and send them off into battle where the enemy wouldn't even know what hit them before these answers got to him. That's his whole ideal, but a lot of people I know that their issue and I think what the movie's trying to also bring up is the issue of yes, but they are also still animals and they can be tra- no, yes, they can be trained it's kind of unethical to train animals in a human activity that we have brought upon ourselves. And now we're introducing something else into the situation to try and solve our issue.
0: I, I do believe you're correct. That is what they are trying to say. I just don't think the reasons they give are very solid. And then you could also make the argument that dogs are used to sniff out bombs and whatnot in war and at home. So I don't know. I, I'm more so siding with Hoskins in this situation. I don't think the movie is trying to do. It, I don't think the movie does very well making this commentary, but oh
1: yeah, no, it doesn't do a very good job at explaining itself just in general with any, really anything. It kind of introduces ideas and then doesn't explore them at all. Right. Uh, this is definitely one of them. It introduces. I think it is an interesting debate of. Uh, using animals in war, and I I would personally side uh, with Chris Pratt's character unless they gave me a better reason for me to be on Hodges and Hodgins' side. But, yeah, this is pretty surface level for almost anything it touches. It, the ideas it has, I think, are good ideas for the most part, but they don't go anywhere with them. They don't explore those ideas like any of really the first two did. Uh, third one doesn't count. It doesn't have anything either.
0: Uh, I did find something interesting that the petting zoo, that was so cute anyway, like the kids riding the dinosaurs and giving them bugs and stuff. see, this is one of
1: those that I found also
0: to be very interesting,
1: but they only show it for a brief moment.
0: Right. And those were actually motion capture people. That's very funny. In (laughs) mocap suits. That was really I believe it.
1: I absolutely believe this.
0: I, I do got to say, I do really enjoy the parts where we see the, the attractions at the park. Cause they feel very real. They make a lot of sense. I don't know if it makes sense to cheer a T-Rex eating a goat. Cause we wouldn't like cheer a lion, like eating a gazelle. At least I wouldn't. Right. I don't think many, like people at the zoo would be like, yeah,
1: tear it apart. Yeah. <laughs> this actually brings up a very interesting question of desensitization. I think it's how, yeah. Uh, because, okay, the parents are allowing these kids to see this goat just be ripped to shreds by this T-Rex, right? right? And then we also see later of uh, the big... I don't even know what dinosaur it is, but it's the big fish one. They have a giant shark that's been pulled in and everyone gets to see it just chow down on it. This is not something that is ever really questioned by the film but is raised as a question for the audience is well how much desensitization is bad or good or things like that I found this be interesting but once again we don't go anywhere with it it's brought up yes this is very interesting that the kids are uh, seeing this goat be ripped to shreds that is very interesting because they are little kids you know innocence and stuff like that but we never dive deep into those ideas it's just there
0: what do you think of the score of the movie
1: it's okay. It's got moments when the I think the best moments are when the original theme is being played because uh, they are kind of remixing them. They're composing it at a different uh, key. It sounds. It sounds. I think it sounds best when the when is doing this. But other times when it's like for an action scene or a suspense scene, it feels very generic to me, and I don't remember the score at all. It does not have nearly the amount of impact the original does
0: i did enjoy the score for the most part no it doesn't have the same impact as the original but i think it did a fairly good job of setting the mood and just creating those moods for the movie okay so what do you think about the chemistry between owen and claire
1: i thought it was weird that they had a past relationship And I don't exactly know why. Well, I guess I can stretch and say that it probably... I guess I can say that it would also be a contrast to the mother and father. Because they had a relationship and then they kind of broke up. And then later they kind of come back together a little bit. Whereas the mother and father are getting into a divorce. I guess I can see that parallel. But other than that, I really don't see much of a reason for them to have... this kind of a chemistry where there's a hurt there or there's a past between them because it only serves for humor in some character but not very much it's fine they have pretty good chemistry but in terms of the depth of their relationship it's pretty shallow
0: i think that just goes for all of the chemistries i guess the siblings have a little bit of a chemistry, especially later on the movie when they come closer together. I don't really care about this whole side plot of their parents getting divorced. Oh,
1: it's so stupid.
0: It cuts back to it too often, and I feel like it's referenced too often. I also think it's kind of dumb how this movie makes this enclosure for the Indominus Rex so thick with foliage they cannot see it with the naked eye.
1: Right. Um, So the first part of the divorce being a thing, yeah, this should have been cut. There's no reason for this to be here, except maybe because they want to relate to the kids of the audience. I can see that, but they don't go anywhere with it. It's just brought up like everything else in this movie. Okay, so the Indominus Rex. Uh, yes, I can see why this could be a potential criticism. I think what they were going for, which comes up a little bit later, is they were trying to make this kind of an environment more realistic to what it would live in, and they want to make sure that it's contained, because they don't know what exactly that they're going to do with it. Uh, but at the same time, Chris Pratt brings this up as an issue of, why on earth would you do that? You've just raised a, te- you've just raised a very dangerous animal in a captive state and so if they escape you have a serious issue on your hands
0: i do think the indominus rex is a really cool dinosaur especially with its capabilities and the thought of it actually being real it does seem fairly real with all this genetic engineering going on but i gotta say the spinosaurus from the third one is still my favorite
1: oh yeah i would absolutely agree with you the the eye uh, okay so the capabilities it has i think yes they do work uh, and I think that they are pretty cool because they don't feel magical or anything. They feel because the first time we see it use one of these abilities is uh, I think well one time when it masks its uh, heat register, but then when it is also becomes a chameleon essentially, and it kind of moves from behind the foliage uh, and turns back to its original color. Yes, those are pretty cool things because uh, they feel like they could actually happen. They feel very bi- they feel very biological. The design, however, of the Indominus Rex is, um, to say the least, meh. (laughs) It doesn't look very cool to me, it looks just like a giant raptor with spines on its back. It doesn't, from my own opinion, I don't think it really looks all that cool. And at first, first it it is kind of neat to have this idea of, oh, we have this brain dinosaur that we bred by ourselves. We were the ones who combined these different genetic codes to create this monster, right? That's an interesting and a good idea. Unfortunately, the Indominus Rex becomes what I like to call the plot device Rex about halfway through this movie because it only shows up when we need an action scene and it becomes kind of a repetitive measure for them to go one place, the Rex shows up, they have to escape from it. It it becomes, it's not like the original where the T-Rex only really showed up twice and those two times it showed up were some of the best moments of the entire movie and they did that because they utilized it in a very, very good way, Uh, and then knew how to build up to this moment. This doesn't is not the same.
0: I think that is kind of one of the issues of this movie, is how many plot contrivances there are that just fly in the face of logic where I just have to immediately question these choices that are being made in the movie. I find it ridiculous that B.D. Wong's character is given just carte blanche activity, to do whatever he wants with creating this. And Masrani has no idea what is going on. They're like, we don't ask questions. They just make dinosaurs and give it to us. Really? That, that's right. how it goes. Uh, the other part I thought was really dumb is how the kids eventually get lost because all they, all there is a thing that flashes on their screen and it says return oh. to the park now with that super technology it would have automatically taken over it's like a ride you know it'll take you back this is like free reign you can stay out there forever apparently
1: yeah uh, this is yeah if there was a plot contrivance that i've ever seen this is it with the uh, uh with the i think it's called the gyrospheres yeah. um yeah are jimmy fallon is on the screen that's funny um Anyways, uh, yes, flashes on the screen, Uh, you got to return because this is now, this uh, attraction is now closed. Uh, Yeah, right. I think only about maybe one out of 10 people are actually going to listen to that message. The rest of them are just going to keep going. And that happens. And now we've created an entirely new situation where the kids are now in danger because they decide, the script writers decided that this was the way to introduce conflict and an intense scene is through the own park owner's stupidity or lack of smart. I don't know. It's, it's, this is, I remember being in the theater and having this moment come up and I was like, okay, that's so stupid that this would even be a thing that would be brought up in the movie in the first place. It puts the kids in danger. Yes. And kind of kickstarts their own side plot of them being in danger. But it feels like they're trying so hard to have some kind of scene that gets them into danger. It doesn't feel organic in the slightest.
0: The other thing that I'm kind of confused about is once they do call everybody back in to the confines of the main park, why does everybody just sit out there? You're kidding me. They don't have hotels these people are staying
1: in. yeah. Not only do they not have hotels, but they have no evacuation plan, like at all. In fact, even, uh, Hodgkin's character calls them out and says, you have no way to get these kids off the island. You, I, there are cruises coming now, but even then, they don't have any way of getting them off the island. If something like this were a, a T-Rex, a very dangerous dinosaur were to escape, they have no way of saving the people on the island. That is Plain stupidity. I don't know how they can ask me for me to, I don't know how this movie can ask me to believe that this is real when they're pulling stunts like this. This is where I begin to have serious issues, not just with the way that the characters are set up or the company is set up, but plot-wise, things are so contrived
0: that it feels like, how am I supposed to believe this? I did really, well, so if everybody was in their rooms, then we wouldn't have this pretty cool uh, scene where there's total chaos, and these pterodactyls are flying around, uh, picking people up, and got some fairly brutal deaths here throughout the movie, where the nanny gets uh, taken up by the dactyls, ripped apart in the water, eaten multiple times, and then later on, when uh, Hoskins gets his hand bit off, but... Anyways, I do like the scene, and I also noticed how much color is used in this movie, which I do like because I feel like the other movies were definitely not this colorful, and even some of them were purposely muted, and a lot of sequences took place at night, whereas this finale does take place at night, and I think that's the right move.
1: So this scene with the pterodactyls, uh, uh, I'm on the fence completely with this one. Because on the one hand, yes, you are right, it is a pretty cool scene to finally come to come to life. The people who are essentially advocating for the zoo of this of these new animals, or I guess old animals, uh different animals. This is okay. This is a zoo, and there's no way you can get around that. And now, at this point, the people who are essentially paying for and advocating for this giant company to overrule all these animals when really they probably shouldn't, they are now kind of getting their money's, their money's worth essentially. The dinosaurs are now attacking them. It's kind of ironic. Although a cool scene and does have a few things to say, this scene with the nanny I found to be almost it's just so silly and just doesn't fit because, okay, I think the movie is trying to have us believe that the nanny was just kind of a dumb character and she was just always constantly on the tail of these two kids and kind of very strict in her rules, stuff like that. And so when she's picked off, we're supposed to clap and cheer and say, yes, finally she's gone. But never once did I ever get the fact that she was overbearing more than just trying to do her job. And so when she's picked off and she's flown around and all this stuff happens with this insane, insane scene that's just so extended, it feels like, okay, can we just just move on to the next thing because I didn't need to see this. I mean, yeah, it is cool, don't get me wrong, but I need a reason for something to be cool, not just cool because they can do it with this kind of technology. I would have loved to have her character developed more, and so that way when this moment does happen, it feels very satisfying, but this is not satisfying to me. This is, this is just cuz.
0: Yeah, I found it to be shockingly, gratuitously violent with how much she is just ripped around. I'm not saying bloody or gory, but we do spend a significant amount of time just watching her be thrown around and trying to be eaten by multiple creatures. I. that's that's where this movie kind of likes to branch into multiple genres where sometimes it's funny sometimes it's horror sometimes it's action sometimes it's a thriller sometimes it's a mystery it's a lot of different things but i did also find it a little funny during this sequence where they just take okay i loved it when chris pratt kisses bryce dallas howard after like shooting you know like she's shooting and they're shooting and then he just kisses her and Mm -hmm. Uh, I do love the way the kids look up to Chris Pratt's character. I I really enjoyed that. But also it was kind of funny because they take this sentimental moment to kind of, she's like, oh, I've missed you guys. And we got to go do this and this while there's still chaos going around them. And people are running, but it's like, now you take your time. You are now immune to being attacked. Yeah,
1: it is kind of a cool, uh, no, I'm, I'll take it back. It is interesting that, yeah, Chris Pratt essentially be kind of, I guess, becomes the father figure, but not really because they don't spend any time together that would make him seem like he becomes their father in any ways. Uh, yeah, finally, at this moment, the kids meet up with the adults. Finally, now, you know, they're safe, I guess. Getting to this moment, though, it- It just feels contrived that the kids have to jump off the waterfall. The kids find their way and they find the old building where the T-Rex used to be and they make sure, they make sure that you know this is the old building instead of being subtle about it. Then they jumpstart a Jeep because they learned how to do it with their grandpa's old car. Like, okay. I understand. The reason for having homages and callbacks and using different elements of the original and the new ones. I understand that you not only want to satisfy the audience, but at the same time respect what had come before you. That I understand. But when you make it so obvious as to what this is, instead of being subtle about it, that almost ruins the rewatchability of this movie because I know... Now, because you showed it to me, that this is the ending scene of the original, instead of letting me find out by myself that what this building is, and seeing that banner on the ground, without cutting to a close-up, I would have been able to figure it out myself and say, okay, that's cool. Instead, it makes it a point to make sure that I know that this is the original, that this is the ending to the original. A lot of the homages in this movie don't work, because they're so pointed and so forward in saying make sure you don't miss this by the way it makes it hard to rewatch in my mind
0: well i i don't i don't think i'm going to let that like ruin the rewatchability for me mostly what i factor in with rewatchability is how much fun am I having with this movie? Is the pacing well done? Is the action well done? And yeah, I would say the pacing is pretty good in this movie. I think it could have been a little shorter because there's a number of side plots that should have been excised. But and I do really like the action. And I got to say, once we come to the finale here with the action scenes all at night, uh, especially when they first encounter the Indominus Rex with the Raptors, that's a really well done scene and probably one of the best of the movie. And I I think from there on out, it's pretty good.
1: Yeah, I'll say it has its good moments. Kind of like you said earlier, it kind of changes genres again. Um, This becomes more of an action movie, uh, one that seems very typical, uh, very generic. It's got its moments where it's cool. Like with the Raptors, okay, with Chris Pratt riding his motorcycle and the raptors next to him. That is a pretty cool shot. I mean, at this point now, we have been able to build the relationship between Chris Pratt and these raptors. So that is kind of a cool moment. A lot of people seem to really love the moment at the end here with the two dinosaurs fighting, um, with the, T- the OG T-Rex and the Indominus, things like that. There is also, it seems to be, this theme of constant battle between good and old. And once again, we have the kid that I was talking about earlier, the younger kid, uh, he's stuck in the past versus him in this new reality. Um, we also have yes, the very end, the Indominus versus the OT Rex. Uh, small things like that. We also find that you know, the kids also find that old bunker or where the original had ended that scene. There seems to be this constant battle between uh, new and old, and which one comes out on top ends up being the old, I guess. So it's yeah, that is one thing I did notice that was in this movie uh, that was a bit more subtle than everything else kind of.
0: Well, I do like the twist that this Indominus Rex is part raptor, and he he is able to turn the raptors against them. And yes, the shot of them riding the motorcycles together was really cool, and I love how the kids call that out. And uh, Chris Pratt felt very much like Arnold Schwarzenegger's character in Predator here to me. I was like, you know what? I think I would like to see you lead the new Predator movie. I think you do well at it.
1: He might. Uh, I guess he's more associated with uh, comedy than he is uh, an action drama, but I think that if done right, it
0: might work. Predator is super hokey, though.
1: Oh, no, you're absolutely right.
0: Well, I gotta say, and then here we kind of have some more horror elements while still mixing in comedy, because the kid is like, is everybody dead? And the aunt is like, uh no no they're fine and he's like don't lie to him and she's like it's okay to lie with someone scared and uh i do really like the expression chris pratt gives when he sees his raptor get blown up it's a look of pain but he knows at the same time that it's necessary it had to happen so i feel there is a perfect balance of adventure horror and action that are really being channeled right here, which Spielberg achieved in the first movie. So I would say this is where it all kind of culminates, and it, it really does a good job with that.
1: Yeah, I can agree with that uh, for half of it, I'll say. There is, yeah, they do have a pretty good balance of going between all of these genres. Although I feel, I'm beginning to feel some whiplash because we're switching genres compl- uh, all the time, where it becomes them sitting in the car and more of a drama, I guess later a suspense and then to an action movie It's kind of like this whirlwind of dramas like just kind of keeps going around um in that sense i mean it's not that bad but it is a criticism that i have to give
0: okay so here's where i get confused hoskins like i said i had no idea who hoskins was working for but we come to find right. out he is working with uh bd wong with dr wu I don't feel like this was well set up in the movie at all. I am like, what they're together. Yeah. There
1: was, I think a passing line where this may have been mentioned, but yeah, never outright stated that these two were ever working together. Uh, I often begin to wonder why, as I, in my notes, I called him tan guy because he always wore a, t- a tan shirt. Um, I always begin to wonder why was he even hired in the first place? Because all he seems to want to do is militarize these dinosaurs and he's Very annoying because he keeps wanting to push that idea on other people, everyone he meets. And when he finally gets his wish uh granted, he becomes even more overbearing in my own mind. It's his he's very a very interesting character. Um I don't know if he completely works because he just feels like a bad guy for bad guys' sakes, uh, although they do kind of give him a better reason for being a bad guy, but Yeah, never once was it ever stated that I remember that these two were ever working together. And so in that final scene, it's just like, uh, this is new. So
0: I got to know your thoughts on this battle between the T-Rex, the Spine, or no, the T-Rex, the Indominus Rex, and then we will ultimately get the Raptor mixed in with it as well. I know you weren't a big fan of the T-Rex versus Spinosaurus in Jurassic Park 3. Right, so
1: I yeah, I wasn't a fan of that. Uh, you could go back and listen to it. The my reasons why, but this one I feel is a little bit more satisfying. Uh, for the most part, it is pretty cool to see the T Rex come in. Uh, the old T Rex that was that was from the original, and the screenwriters even came out and said, "Yes, this is the original T Rex." Uh, there are scars and everything on it that they said that's Rye. Anyways, so yes, uh, this fight, a lot of people love it. And I'm on the fence of, yeah, it's okay. Uh, it is fun, don't get me wrong. And um, it's, it is fun to watch and very engaging because you get to see the T-Rex come back and take out the Indominus Rex. However, and it is, oh, I do want to mention this. It is kind of nice and I, one of my favorite parts of this, one of my favorite parts of this whole fight is that the T-Rex and the Raptor are now working together. Whereas in the first one, they were against each other and they're fighting a new kind of evil. I once again we get that old versus new. I- anyways, when it all comes down to it, it's pretty fine. I do enjoy it, but it's not anything that blows me away. It's clear to me that this is all CGI, and as much as I hate that I have to keep referencing that, it's hard for me to not see it. Anyways, is it fun? Yes, I can absolutely say that this is a very fun fight, but I think that it ends in a way that I found to be very unneeded, because whatever the dinosaur's name is, the fish one. Uh, it comes out at the very end and grabs the Indominus Rex and pulls it into the water. Right? That's the end of the Indominus Rex. It feels... Uh... It feels like they didn't know how to end it, and so they decided to write this dinosaur in to end the fight completely. It just feels kind of underwhelming when it was all said and done, albeit a very fun moment and a great moment to end this movie on. I've even, I've even heard people say that even though they didn't like the rest of the movie, this was why they came back to watch it again. It's for this moment, and I can see why.
0: The setup for this scene, I think, is a little cheesy, where the little boy says, Teeth, we need more teeth. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. it's a really nice shot of uh, Bryce Dallas Howard getting the T-Rex out of its enclosure. I Like you said, the fight doesn't blow me away, but nevertheless, it's a really fun fight. This is exactly what I think the movie needed because that's what we ha- got in the third one. And in a couple of the other ones, there was definitely big dinosaur fights. This is what the audience kind of really wants to see is dinosaurs fighting each other. I think what makes this one different is the inclusion of the raptor and especially how they humanized the raptor, which I thought was a really nice touch while watching the movie because it seems like the T-Rex is about to be beaten when all of a sudden we – I don't know if it's blue. I, I just call it blue, the raptor. He comes running yeah, around the it corner. Is blue. And the way it is shot, I don't know how – they're doing it. It's like the background is blurred out. It's just about him. Something seems very kind of like innocent about this creature coming to the rescue. He's small, kind of like a small dog would defend a uh, a person, their, their owner, that is getting attacked or something. I don't know. I found that to be a little touching, a little humanizing. So I, I really appreciated that scene. And yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty fun scene. And the movie closed out fairly well for me. So, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Jurassic World?
1: Well, before I actually give my rating recommendation, I actually have a proposition uh, for you about what I was thinking during the... It would have been during the pterodactyl scene, actually. No, no, no. It would be about halfway. Uh, Let me just pitch this to you. So, one of the ideas I had, which I think my own opinion would have worked really, really well is they had a, we had one guy or maybe a guy in his family and that's like their first time on the park or maybe even their fourth or fifth time, multiple times, right? Anyways, so they're going around like normal and they're seeing all the new, all the attractions that are there and all this kind of stuff. And um, we get to see what their experience is from a human level, experiencing the park built for them, right? And as the time goes on, as more and more of the sections of the park start to begin Closed off because the Indominus is now kind of broken free and is roaming its way and making its way to the center part of the island. He, they become, him or his family become a bit more frustrated, saying, Okay, well, why is this happening? This makes no sense. I came here to have fun and they're just closing all the rides now. What is the point of me coming here, you know? And so, in the very, the very end of of the movie, the climax is when they're sitting. And waiting to know what's going to happen next with everybody else uh, outside. And the whole rest of the park is all closed off. The climax of the movie is when the pterodactyls come down and they essentially attack everybody. And so this was the idea that I had. And we kind of get a more subtle message of, of course, the big overbearing corporation controlling everything. Uh, We find out later through some hints of dialogue that the Indominus Rex is the reason that caused all of this. It was a breakout of a genetic uh, mutation gone wrong on dinosaur. And so that's why the pterodactyls come down and they uh, they broke the, the cage to it and they all flew out. Stuff like this. And so we kind of get subtle messages of the big bad corporation and all of their money schemes and stuff like this. And then the people who are have paid for this and are advocating for this kind of a thing kind of get their dues uh, as the pterodactyls attack them. So what do you think? I, I mean, I haven't really completely thought everything out, of course, but I, that was an idea that I had. I felt would have made a more interesting movie, a more interesting and more personal movie than this one would have.
0: I like the idea of following a family through the park, giving more of that personal experience. And I think that would be something even better to latch on to. And I think that could work by providing more of a message uh, between the consumer and corporation. If that's really the message that you were going for um i unfortunately that would not probably work though because they want a big blockbuster movie you're yeah, going for Jurassic Park the drama and yeah they are going for Jurassic Park the fighting explosion movie so i think it's yeah. a unique idea and i do think it would be more grounded than this one and more personal but,
1: yeah, because at, at this point, we would actually get to experience the park for ourselves, like, almost essentially become a part of this experience of going to Jurassic World right. uh, for the first time.
0: Oh, I can see that being much more touching, though, where this guy has to protect his family, or even if it was, you know, husband and wife with their kids, oh, man, they'd have to protect right. him from all of these things. I think I, I like that much better than following these kids around and kind of jumping back and forth between, like, four or five different plots Right. Yeah, I I can definitely see that. Yeah. So, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Jurassic World?
1: Okay, so I'm going to start off with the things I like. There are a lot of things that I think work very, very well. That being the overbearing company they've now... gone the route that John Hammond would have never liked because money money's there, Bryce Stiles, Howard is saying constantly in, the, in this opening oh we get the Indominus Rex, well that gives us more money because the more new attractions we have every two years the more people are going to want to come back, right that's just basic business unfortunately, well that uh, that and small other ideas like the Raptors being controlled by Chris Pratt uh, the kids not necessarily the kids, but things like that, you know the the consumers now being having to pay for what they are advocating for. Small ideas like this, I think, work very, very well. Unfortunately, there are so many ideas in this movie that this movie does not know how to juggle or flesh them out that it becomes overbearing. This movie has a lot of ideas that I think could work as their own standalone movie, like uh, with the tan guy wanting to militarize the uh, Raptors. And Chris Pratt's character saying, "No, we need to uh, train them. It just be and develop a relationship with them." I think that would be a good movie for that idea alone to work. Unfortunately, it has a lot of ideas. It wants to do everything and doesn't know how to do everything. And so, when it's all said and done, and the parks design, and the holograms, and Making it seem more like a fantasy than a reality. I, I begin to find it hard to get into Jurassic World because this doesn't feel Plausible to me. It is this part doesn't feel like oh, I could just walk in and have this experience versus the original where I Definitely had that experience where I felt as if this is a reality because even though I knew it was clearly fantasy They made it. it explained it in a way that I felt okay now I see the scientific side of, plaza- of possibly being something that could happen, and I can believe that. This movie tries but doesn't give me an explanation. On top of all that, we have weak characters and a pretty complex plot, and never in a moment where they ever feel emotionally invested in anything. So, it's all said and done. Yes, it has its moments where it's cool. The ending scene of this almost brings it back but when it's all said and done I left this movie empty in every subsequent viewing that I've seen I've left it empty because it never gives me anything to think about and chew on without moving on to the next topic so it's fine it's better than three I'll give it that it's better than three I think it's about on the same level as two maybe it has more ideas than two but doesn't explain it more than two does so five out of 10 Mild, not recommend. If you like big blockbusters, you'll probably like this one. I, if you're a big fan of Jurassic Park, you may be on the fence. I'm gonna say not for me. It's not for me.
0: Wow, I gotta say, I'm a little surprised. Actually, I think really, I think we were both coming at it from two different perspectives. I think you were wanting something maybe a little deeper because that's what the first one had. It was mixing realism with fantasy something that could be very real and then from there it was just all mindless action with two and three whereas I think this one is kind of attempting to do a little bit of realism with genetics but mostly all of that realism is out the window and this movie is just pure fantasy pretty much and fiction and and I'm totally okay with that I didn't come to this movie really expecting anything else I just came to this movie wanting a you know a fun adventure where they're running away from dinosaurs they have to stop the dinosaurs you get what I'm saying x y and z and I feel like that's what I got with this movie that's exactly what I wanted I really wasn't expecting any too big of themes If they would have put too much commentary in this movie and it would have been too overbearing, then personally for me, that would have turned me off because I think we need movies where it doesn't need to be too contemplative. It just needs to be some fun summer blockbuster escape. So, and I gotta say, Jurassic World has a bit for everyone. Something for kids, something for teens, and something for adults. It takes what worked in the original trilogy and it combines it into one action-filled adventure. Does this movie really do anything new? Not really. But it has more of a story and better characters than 2 and 3. The CGI is fairly well done, but the lack of animatronics is sorely missed. Yes, there are a number of plot contrivances, and the evenality of the tone could be worked on, plus enhancing the CGI. Nevertheless, Jurassic World is a welcome sequel to the original and the second best installment in the franchise. I'm giving Jurassic World 7 stars out of 10 with a high recommend.
1: Oh, my. Yeah, we were very on the opposite end of this one. <laughs> we
0: were pretty much on the opposite end of this one. That's funny. I expected us to be a little closer meeting in the middle, but I got to right. say it does make sense, I think, why we both came out the way we did with our ratings. Right,
1: right. And I think the, I think I would have agreed with you more had they gone strictly fantasy and not really tried to tease these little ideas of things that they like ideas like the ethics ideas or something like that so if they would have done that i probably would have agreed with you 100 on this but since they do that i feel teased and i'm just like i want more give me more you know that's just how i like my movies
0: i had my expectations fairly tempered because the first one i think is just a super
1: super. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think the first one is a superb, phenomenal film, but then after that, we just get kind of a meh movie, and then after that, we just get a really poor sequel that has some good action, but is bad. And like you said, this this one is far better than three, and I believe it's even better than two. Now, if you are coming into Jurassic Park for the first time and you're like watching it with your family, I still stick with, go with number two. Because like I said, number two is a really great way to introduce your kids and family to Jurassic Park. I think this one harkens back a little more to the original, trying to be a little more with these horror elements and some more intense scenes. And for the most part, it it does away with some of the hokiness that was in number three, because number three was terribly hokey with some of those characters. I don't think the movie is fully there. But I do got to give props to Colin Trevorrow. I mean, this is pretty much his first uh, big budget movie. He did a really well done job, I would say.
1: Yeah. So, Corbin, what would are we wanting to do? Ratings now and see where we stand with all of them.
0: Yeah, sure. I can give you my ranking right now. Okay. I would go with one, four, two, and three.
1: Definitely, one is the first. Uh, I'm gonna say so. I think mine is gonna go one, two, four, three. But one and but two and four almost interchangeable. Uh, I'm gonna actually no. I take it back. Yeah, one, two, four, three is my order. Uh, now that I think about it, I don't. I think two has ideas and explores them, but is more on the fantasy side, which I did enjoy. Although, albeit not that great of a movie anyways.
0: Yeah, and clearly we both had issues with this movie. We both talked about it. Yeah. I'm really hoping this next movie... It's been three years. So I'm hoping the issues we had with this will be cleared up. I have not seen very much footage. From what I've seen, it looks to be a bigger extravaganza. It looks... Some of it looks to be very confusing. And... I don't know. I'll just leave it at that for now.
1: Yeah. There has only been one trailer, so that's really all we know so far. Maybe two. Maybe two trailers. I can't remember. I've only seen one, though.
0: Well, anyway, listeners, thank you for coming along with us on this Jurassic Park adventure. We will be back next month with Jurassic World The Fallen Kingdom, and that will be out not too long after the movie is released so we're really looking forward to bringing you that review we also have many great reviews coming in the meantime we are working on getting the schedule public so that way it will be very easily accessible for you to see what movies we have coming up make sure to give this podcast a like make sure to share it with your friends and uh We want to hear your thoughts about this movie as well. What do you think worked? Whose side are you on? Team Allen or Team Corbin (laughs) for (laughs) this movie? Uh, Give us your ranking as well. I want to know what your ranking is of the Jurassic Park movies. Make sure to follow us on social media. uh, Any platform of your choice, pretty much. And yeah, like we said... Share it with your friends because we love talking about movies. It's a communal experience. So we can't wait to hear from you guys and what you think about this movie. And we can't wait to see you next time with Jurassic World The Fallen Kingdom.